You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez Simostajo. My name is Claire Perini. And welcome y'all back to the Regent College Podcast. <laughs> the y'all, it doesn't work. <laughs> <The> y'all. <laughs> you y'all. can say y'all, you can be in culture just, as a Southern let, let us know if it sounds like... like you should really stop that you're saying like that. You're, you're trying to be a y'all. South American. Y'all. Just let me know if that works. I like y'all though. It's nice and inclusive. It is, but it, when you try to y'all, <laughs> y'all, that was better. Y'all. Y'all. Okay. You can it. practice that. Um, today you'll be listening in on a conversation that Octavio and I had uh, with Christine Pohl. Christine uh, is a professor emeritus at Ashbury Theological Seminary where she taught Christian ethics for 29 years. Mm-hmm. And she's written um, a lot of a few different books on Christian practices. One of them is called "Making Room: Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition," and then another one called "Living into Community: Cultivating Practices that Sustain Us." She speaks widely in mm. the church and in the academy, and she's done lots of thinking and about the realness and the rawness yeah. of life in community and what a healthy community looks like. Yeah, so we, we met Christine because she came to Regent for the summer course, and she had like a full house in the course, and and it, it was all about community, and we know how messy communities are, and, and the fact that we need a lot of help to have not successful communities, but healthy communities, mm. and she's all about creating healthy communities, facilitating that in, in small groups, and churches, and families, and I think, yeah, this is a conversation we need to have a lot, because... Mm-hmm. People getting lonely, uh, Christine. What, what, Claire. I'm not, yeah, my You're name's Claire. Claire. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. People getting lonely, Claire. They do. So, so communities, because because she has a standard of what a healthy community should be. Mm. We were asking, like, I don't think I have a healthy community. I need to find one. <laughs> yeah, because you, you you know you're around people a lot, but mm. is that a, a really real healthy mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. or you just gotta get one and get it fast? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a great conversation. So we hope this is helpful as for individuals as we're thinking about how to be in communities and how to be as well as church leaders, as well as mm. local people trying to think about how to build a community in neighbourhoods and so on. So mm. we hope our conversation is helpful with Christine Paul. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to have you. Um, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about community and sort of some of the intricacies of that. But I thought mm. we'd begin by... How would you – community can be a word that's a bit nebulous or a bit hard. To, we, we throw it around a lot. What, what are you thinking of when we think of community and what would you say are some of the characteristics of a healthy community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right about community just being um, used all the time. I think if I were to make it as simple as I could, mm-hmm. it would be that it's a group of people that have in some way or another made commitments to one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than just sort of a loose group of friends or something, it's, it's a little bit, um, deeper, more significant than that. So, um, I think that communities have shared commitments both to one another and oftentimes to something outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they have shared values. Um, and I would say there's some kind of, um, shared identity, which mm-hmm. they could probably identify. Mm-hmm. This is this is who we are, rather right. than just kind of an amalgam of people. Yeah. And then in terms of what would be signs of a healthy community, I would say um, most of the time people want to be there. I mean, people right. want to be together. I mean, it seems to me that's a sign of health, right? That they they mm. enjoy each other. That there's lots of celebration. 
And with that oftentimes comes um, sharing in meals and um, sharing in, in life together and, and, and something that people want to do rather than they feel like they have to do in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think also in a healthy community, there would be a significant level of trust. Yeah. So, which is, you know, cultivated over time, but it would involve um, certain commitments again, um, fidelity to one another, um, kind of trustworthiness that you've kind of proved your care for the other people over time that you want what's good for them. And then I think it would in, involve um, truthfulness. That's the other side of, of trust that you can count on people. Basically, It's very hard to do anything if, if people aren't truthful. Right. And yet a lot of times we feel like we have to hide things um, and um, pretend to be better than we are and so on. So I think if we're in a healthy community, there's a level of, of trust rooted in, in mm. truthfulness and honesty um, and a certain maybe transparency. Mm. Um, so there aren't a lot of secrets. There's not a lot of hidden um, yeah. agendas or practices in a good community. Um, and I think there's not a lot of hypocrisy because people don't have to be something that they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they can be kind of true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm thinking is, if you put it that way, I'm guessing people, as I am right now, thinking, do I actually belong to a community where we have shared <laughs> values, where we trust each other? I mean, I got people around. I mean, never in the history of the world has there been that, that many people, right? More than 7 billion, which is bumping to each other like every day. And then you have friends, acquaintances, and then you have quote-unquote close friends but if if the way you're talking about community in a healthy community with shared values and trust and and truthfulness and and uh interest and you got my back i got your back getting all this together it makes you wonder do i really i have i mean i'm around people but do i really belong to a community Mm. or healthy community yeah it's a good question yeah i mean I, I think that to reflect on it actually is um, somewhat disturbing mm. because we don't do that. I mean, we do that with our family. Families are a small community, right? And most of uh-huh. those practices, in a good family, most of those practices are at work. Um, and one would hope that that's what we would see in the church. Mm-hmm. At least, uh, you know, I mean, the bigger communities get, the harder this is to do at a, a super yeah, that's what I was thinking. level. Yeah. But there can be some of that. And oftentimes there is in, in smaller groups and so on. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, and no community does this perfectly, right? This is, yeah. this is what we want to be. This is, these are signs of a healthy community. Mm-hmm. But there's also in healthy communities, there's grace and forgiveness because uh-huh. we are flawed and we make mistakes. And I think there's a lot of gratitude. Mm. Um, for one another, toward God, and so on, because not flattery, not flattery, yeah, but, yeah, but gratitude, real appreciation mm-hmm. um, for one another. And and so I think, yeah, I, I I wouldn't want to portray community as this perfect environment because it never is because... It can't be, really. You can't do that, mm. um, or we don't do it anyway. Um, but it's, it's, what we, that, it's what we long for, I think. It's what we're made for. I would mm-hmm. say it's really what human beings are made for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing I was thinking as I was getting ready for, for this conversation, reading your book, uh, Living into Community, uh, reading a Slow Church, I think there's an issue in church 
and the issue is performance. If you go to church and you put your face, your mask off, this is me, the church me. This is not normally real me. I dress for church. I act some mm. in, 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 a, in a manner when I go to church. Or leaders at church, when they go in and perform, and, and, and they're not who they normally are day to day, and everybody's, you know, masks everywhere. And, and then that's all you see from them week to week. It's all the Sunday phase they put on. And, and how, I don't know, how destructive that is, that is to... Uh, if, if you're talking about building real trust, uh, trustworthy communities when when nobody is really themselves in, in in a way, so I was thinking, oh, so so that is and has be, become a problem, right? When we just perf- go and, and with different mm-hmm. people at, and, and on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and that's all we see. I think I think we want to be our best selves. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, and yet. Um, I think if you're trying to cultivate a really um, good community, a trustworthy community, there has to be a level of, of um, self-revelation and, and truthfulness. Mm-hmm. But if the community is not faithful, that can be really dangerous. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. people can use their knowledge about your flaws um, to harm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the reason people actually end up not being truthful. They're afraid. And mm-hmm. so this, the, the commitments, I think, have to move forward together. I mean, we, we only become trustworthy as we're faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, we can only speak mm-hmm. the truth as we're fairly confident that people won't use it against us. Right. Um, and yes. so I think it's this, um, it's a pretty integrated um, challenge yeah. to build communities where people can really be truthful about themselves. Mm-hmm. And you're not aiming for the lowest common denominator there, but we want, <laughs> we want to be truthful about who we are and where our needs are and our struggles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so not put on a face. Yeah. yeah. And then you were talking earlier, I was interested by your idea around gratitude and kind of, and that, and that being a, a key part of communities. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and how do we, how does gratitude sort of help in this cultivation of community? Yeah, I think that gratitude is what makes communities beautiful mm. Mm. Um, and actually it makes all the other practices much more beautiful. Mm. Um, it's, um, in a sense, it's the affirmation of our appreciation for someone who um, shares themselves, gives themselves to a community. So gratitude at two levels, one in terms of um, toward God Mm-hmm. And that as we sort of take a posture of sort of this ongoing thankfulness for who God is and what God has done for us, it changes who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Karl Barth's statement that if, if the essence of God is grace, then the essence of God's people um, is gratitude. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's yeah. true. Um, yes. And um, I think... So we have that in, in the sense of gratitude toward God. The gratitude toward one another, an affirmation of one another, is such a missing piece of life together, I think. We sort of think that's a nice thing to do if you've got the time. But mostly we don't um, recognize the, the small things that people do in community. We don't slow down to recognize um, what they give. I think part of the difficulty is that we're just very rushed. Mm-hmm. And uh, gratitude kind of requires um, a sense of, of pausing, slowing down to notice what's good. 
Yeah. I think one of the other things I've realized, and this is true about myself as much as about communities, is that we've been trained to see the problems. Yeah. To analyze them and then to fix them, right? So that our mode is kind of to notice what's wrong rather than what's good. We sort of take what's good for granted. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a very helpful posture. In, of course, we have to fix the problems. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have to analyze them. But the first move should be um, one of thankfulness mm-hmm. and one of recognition and appreciation, I think, for one another and for what God yeah. has done. Yeah, totally. Yeah, thinking it's, it's, it's difficult to notice what you were saying. I'm just because sometimes you got to be more grateful and, and, and it feels like like we're just bad people <laughs> that don't want to be grateful because we're just evil. And, and what you're saying is like, OK, let's 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 think about it. And, and it's got to do a lot with the, our pace of life or the speed of life right now. It's just like, boom, 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 go do this, finish that, go to the to the next. And there's so many things we we don't notice like for example i was just thinking about like talk, going back to church the people that set up the stage for for some sundays for mm. and i i just i just bumped in some people just working on the stage i don't know just occasionally on a sunday and it's a lot of work <laughs> like the setting of it and how creative they are you just yeah. go go something oh it looks good and continue and then just walk out like small things like yeah. that when you just don't notice all the things people are doing because mm-hmm. you're just going so fast and you're, you're you're there to get yours and then get out mm-hmm. and then do your do your task and just get out and I think yeah yeah what you're saying is it's, it's difficult to notice now I think it requires intentionality mm-hmm. yeah it actually requires that we kind of slow down and say, what is the good that I'm seeing here? What, so actually building it into worship or building it into small groups or building it into business meetings or music practice or whatever, um, or into family life as simply a practice that we do regularly, remembering mm-hmm. each day one thing that we're grateful for, even if it's mm-hmm. a small thing, I think it changes the culture. At least that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let me say something good, good about Canadians, okay? Say something good about Canadians. We love Canadians. Okay, Canadians yeah. are a little bit more grateful than... Uh, okay, Bolivians? I'm, okay, I'm going to say, at the church I'm now, I'm now there, they actually like, like because I play in the worship, and people don't know how, how much you have to rehearse and, and for the worship, mm. and, and they come up to me and say, oh, thank you for playing the drums. I'll be like, what? Are you thanking me for playing Because that feels... Cause, that will seldom happen back in my country. Like, nobody's thanking me for anything. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people just go, oh, thank you for playing. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, you know, like, oh, it felt weird and, and beautiful and heartwarming. Yeah. Just saying that <laughs> Canadians are, are nice. <laughs> go. Yeah. Um, I was thinking this this idea of the McDonaldization of church sort of is uh, this kind of efficiency, predictability, calculate, you know, and then this kind of industrialization of church where, you know, we've got to sort of try and get things done. Do you have do you have any thoughts around that kind of what we were talking about, that, uh, that sort of slowing down and, yeah, other thoughts around that? Yeah, though, that that language of the McDonaldization mm. of church is not mine, right? That's no, okay, yeah. The church who took it from Ritzer yes. and so on. Yes, yep. But it's a really interesting analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Our focus on efficiency and predictability and Cal- calculability and control. control. Yeah, I you know I don't think there's something fundamentally wrong with being efficient. Mm. Um, uh-huh. You know, <laughs> I mean that's a good thing, right? Mm. Um, and, and predictability actually feeds into trust. 
Um, if we can count on things or count on people in a predictable sense, it's easier to trust. Now, having said that, the problem is when efficiency becomes the primary yeah. sort of driver. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was thinking of that in, in relation to industrialization and everything. All of this points to our focus being on the goal or the product. Yes. And when we do that, I think we often forget about um, the importance of how we get there. So we'll do either whatever it takes or whatever is most efficient or quickest to get to the goal, forgetting that oftentimes the means is really important. And Mm. Martin Luther King said the the ends are preexistent in the means. If you don't, if you aren't careful, if you don't embody the end in how you're getting to the end, you are going to miss the end. Right. And I think that's what happens with this overwhelming emphasis on getting it done. Um, on being able to count up our successes or sort of control everything. I think that's a really problematic model when we're dealing with people. Mm. I I laugh as I think about McDonaldization. You know, maybe it works with hamburgers. It does not work with people. Um, People are much messier. (laughs) And they take longer. And part of of the challenge with efficiency, I think, is that um, you kind of – when when somebody doesn't sort of yield the desirable results fast, uh-huh. you abandon them. Yeah, it takes a little bit longer to heal, or if um, or if there's you know if you're working with somebody on discipleship, but they're you know slow going or they're deeply troubled, you just move on to an easier um, yeah. project rather okay. than staying with them because it doesn't project. seem to be- yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it doesn't seem to yield the kind of results that you're supposed to be getting. So mm-hmm. I think there are real problems. Again, you know, I don't think there's something wrong with efficiency. Um, but I think it's it's terrible when it becomes the, the driving um, model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because th- this, this was talking about finding the easiest way from getting one people from here to there, right? from unsaved to saved, from unchurched to church. It's just the easiest way from them to... I mean, whatever you can do to get them there, just do it. And I, we've talked in the podcast with some people about, uh, you know, those uh, short-term uh, missionary trips when they have, you know, these techniques. And, and I've, I've been, you know, when you go knocking, because I've been translating for those teams. And, and, and you know, they, they send them two by two. And I was the translator, so I would go with them. They would knock on the door, and they would have, we've, we've talked about it. Like, have you, have you, do you know about the Evangel Cubes? It's basically a cube that flips, opens, and has the, the salvation story. You know, God dying for our sins, and there's a gap between you and God because of sin. And then if you take God's hand, he's going to take you away. He's going to, you know, Mm-mm. save you from hell. And, and so you want to pray? It was super easy. And, and, when, and normally when the person had questions, you know, you had to move to the next house. Because you, you had to cover the whole block of knocking the doors, and and you want you wanted the the AC prayers, you wanted the but but not just in those uh, short missionary trips. Like you were saying, when when somebody's complicated, mm. is you yeah you rather just move on because mm-hmm. you have to s- show and you don't have to, but you want to be successful somehow. And this person's taking too long, and and you want uh, mm. sometimes you want numbers, and sometimes mm. you want to mm. be. You you want to feel like you you you're successful at yeah. at discipling yeah. or at at uh, evangelizing or but if you cannot show numbers, 
I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a whole mentality, right? It is a mentality, and I think it has to do with in, emphasizing measurable results. Yeah, and measurable results tend to be numbers um, and sort of simple things, and so we we sort of skip over the more complex, the more uh, the whole notion of accompaniment of walking with someone through yeah. something or toward conversion or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it sort of, it does, it does, it changes all of the, like this kind of, this whole idea changes not only how you think about yourself, but how you then think about community and then what does success look like in the community. And then, but we're also then living in this really individualized, entitled kind of world as well, where so there's this whole journeying alongside means I've got to give up my, some of my own sense of whatever. Um, so what do you, how do you, how do we think about that in a kind of in a, in a culture of entitlement that then comes into the church, but is in our local communities as well, as well as individualization. How do we, how do we think about, how do we help in that way in terms of developing communities? Well, what are some helpful ways to think about that? Yeah, I think entitlement is um, certainly in, in the U S context is a, is a really problematic yeah. um, assumption that somehow mm-hmm. I'm entitled to either everything or most things or whatever. And therefore, for one thing, I don't need to be grateful for anything. In fact, right. Renier said that, you know, the person who's entitled to everything is grateful for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. And the difficulty is that, um, for one thing, we're not, right? We're not entitled mm-hmm. to everything. Um, but if we think we are, then we end up, really moving into grumbling and dissatisfaction and discontent almost as a way of life. If we mm-hmm. think we deserve this um, all the time, um, we're going to be disappointed and quite unpleasant to live with. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I think there is a good side of there. There's a healthy kind of entitlement that I think people have or can should have, which is a sort of a sense of self that mm-hmm. you have value. I mean, we're not suggesting here that, People aren't entitled to respect or something like that, but this right, sort of right. overwhelming sense of entitlement. I think the other thing you're asking about, um, sort of this emphasis on um, individualism and that sort of the self-made person, mm-hmm. is, it's a very awkward fit with an emphasis on on community, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so the the sort of the cultural riff that says that we've all sort of made ourselves. Um, and didn't need anybody to help us is simply false. Nobody gets to adulthood without help. Um, and so that, that's part of the challenge, I think, um, of, of helping people really to kind of rethink that whole assumption about people not needing each other or not being indebted. We're very afraid of being indebted to someone else because that suggests that we're weak or we're needy. Yeah. And that's yeah. That's not true. We're human, and humans yeah. need each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about the entitlement in church, and uh, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, there, there's like full-on prosperity gospel churches, right? And they're like some churches where prosperity gospel has crept in a little bit, and some some churches a little bit more. And basically, because I've been in some of those churches, and then I got out. It's basically. They create entitled Christians because they tell them God wants to bless you, God wants to give you, God wants to prosper you and your business and your car and your 
God's there to give you and to make you bigger and to make you greater and to make you more noticeable in the community. To, you, I mean, you deserve this, 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 this. And we, we somehow want to discover the way f- for you to get all those things. And you're like, yeah, I should be prosperous. Yeah, I should have this. Yes, I should have the best thing. I should be the, the, the most important. Because I'm entitled to that because I'm a Christian. That's what the Bible promises. That's what the gospel promises me. Mm. I, I got to be, you know, I'm not the tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Because fr- it's all. So, yeah, I was thinking that with, as you were talking, like how many churches are creating entitled Christians. <laughs> I think I think that's right. And I think what's what's so appalling about that is that it kind of forgets the biblical teachings about suffering and sacrifice yeah. and laying down your life. And lament. And so I think yeah. one of the things it does is, is it makes sacrifice and suffering seem dysfunctional, um, which is really problematic in community. And then it, I, I think it, it, ha- it naturally, I mean, that kind of thinking makes it extremely awkward for people who are not healed, who through no fault of their own do not have resources, you know, to whom bad things happen. It's like, how do you explain that? in a community that's totally oriented yes. to prosperity. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so those people leave. Yeah. There's no place for them, or they become silent yeah. mm-hmm. um, because they're kind of the losers. And yeah. um, I think that's terribly destructive. Yeah. yeah, you have a phrase, and I, and I have the quote here. It says, good communities and life-giving congregations emerge at the intersection of divine grace and steady human effort. And that, I guess that doesn't mean only my steady human effort, but the community's steady human effort. Well, that would that would link to the self-made men and the uh, self-made women, mm-hmm. right? Just add that in. <laughs> <laughs> part of the notion of self-made communities. I mean, that was part right. of what I was trying to get at. I mean, there there can be a mistake, especially working with something like practices um, or programs, that we end up thinking, you know, if I could just get this right. If I could just get these practices right, or we could just do this program perfectly, everything would be okay. And mm. once again, you know, separate from um, the, the grace of God, separate from God's provision and intervention and care, we could not do community. Um, it's, it's too hard. I mean, we mm. do have to work. Community is hard, and it requires human effort. Um, but that's not enough. I mean, it's, it's really by God's grace that we do it at all, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, I, I think there's a danger of turning some of the emphasis on, on practices or on programs or into some version of works righteousness, that if I just get this, God will, God will be pleased and blessed. And it's no, you know, there's the importance of prayer and of the means of grace and so on in terms of being able to sustain, in terms of being able to forgive and work on these things. So I really, I really do think it's the combination of God's grace and our effort that mm. makes community possible. Mm. And mm. either one, you know, the, the psalmist, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, they live yeah, exactly. and build it. Mm-hmm. That would be true of community, you know, unless mm-hmm. the Lord builds mm-hmm. it. Um, it's, it's too hard for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how do, how do we think, it's making me think, how do we think about if, 
if um, if a part of a healthy community is that shared value and say in a Christian community, it's the shared value and knowledge of God being a God of hospitality and a God of community and a God of relationship. What is, how does that help us? How do we think about communities that don't share that same value? So a community that maybe isn't a church community, but a local community, how does, how do, how are some of these things different? How are some of these things similar in terms of that building and fostering of community just in the local, just kind of in our neighborhoods and so on? I think the practices, you know, the issues around truthfulness or fidelity, mm. gratitude, these are human practices. They're not totally. just Christian practices. Mm-hmm. A Christian, as in, in, the, in a Christian framework, they're going to be different because they're responses to God's grace. So they're yes. going to be flavored differently. But community is necessary to human flourishing more generally. Mm-hmm. So I think there are ways in which communities can um, gather around shared commitments short of full commitments, you know, so you can have Christians mixed in with non-Christians or whatever. You've got to find some common ground. There has to be some commitment made to one another and so on. It's not going to be the same as a church or a family, but I, I certainly think that human beings generally need and can make some version of community. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes they are noteworthy, you know, they're Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. beautiful. They're not, they're not Mm, totally. And they don't, I think most of the, well, I don't know. I mean, most of the time they're not trying to be the same as a Christian community, but no. there are things we can learn from looking at some of those communities that have been effective. And, and, and normally, normally in, in, in those uh, friendships, when somebody screws up or does something weird, you, they still love them the same. It's like, oh, you dumb piece of... But, you know, you still love them and take care of them. Yeah. And sometimes in, in many... And it happens in families as well. It's like like in healthy families. I mean, you screwed up and you 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 made a mess. You, I mean, you you're gonna you're gonna deal with the consequences. But you st- I mean, you never uh, stop being part of this community of this family. But sometimes in some churches, we're not that. What do you call it? Embracing of screw ups. Of people that that made a mess of their life, that messed up, you know, we're not that embracing of 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 those kind of people. So I think in that case, there's something to learn from that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but it is a challenge. How do, how do we do deal yeah. with when things go wrong and when people mess up and um. A bro- like their brokenness becomes really obvious to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obvious brokenness. Yeah. Obvious brokenness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I think the church really does struggle with, with that. Yeah, it's hard. Um, we, mm-hmm. we want to be generous and kind. We also want people to be good. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know exactly what to do with them when they really mess up. Mm. And um, so sometimes we become punitive, you know, the old, saying that the church is the only organization that shoots its wounded, Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. I think we, I, I, sometimes we're very harsh. Sometimes we're not quite sure what it means to kind of help somebody toward maturity and toward holiness. And so we're, we're harsh. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, we don't want to, again, we don't want to settle for mediocrity or, or carelessness in the Christian life. We want to encourage people on, so I think, it, it, you know, it's sort of cultivating that kind of generous grace, but also a certain level of discipline and self-discipline mm. is very hard because we don't, there aren't 
I mean, most of the time, efforts at discipline come across as very harsh. Mm -hmm. And um, I think on the other hand, a community, uh, uh, certainly a church community, a Christian community, has to know what it is and what it's not. Yes. And, and so sometimes that, you know, people define themselves outside of the regular boundaries of the community and figuring out how to deal with that can be really hard. It can tear mm. apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, figuring out what the, the grace of Christ looks like in the midst of these and what we do in terms of forgiveness and in terms of opportunities to grow and to kind of redeem difficult messes um, you know, how we hold all that together. I think, I think we don't, we don't talk about it very much. Um, we don't do it very well when it happens, partly because we're sort of unprepared for it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a problem. I've often talked to my students about, I think oftentimes, especially pastors think they're kind of, um, invulnerable to temptation. Mm-hmm. And so they fall into it, um, kind of unwitting. Well, I mean, it's never totally unwitting, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, they, they don't recognize the, um, the danger signs because they don't think they could ever fail. Mm. But they do. And, you know, without some kind of accountability, without some kind of um, structures around us, any of us will. Mm. We don't mm. have people who will speak truth into our lives. And the irony with a lot of the pastoral misconduct is that the bigger and the more well-known you get, the less people are speaking into your life most of the time. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the more vulnerable you are to failure, Mm -hmm. um, to real gross failures. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think the importance of communities that love each other enough to speak into each other's lives, the hard stuff. I mean, I think if we get into the pattern of speaking good truth into each other's life, Mm -hmm it'll be easier to speak the hard truths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So if you know that you're loved, you can hear someone say the more critical things and respond because you know that you're kind of held um, Mm -hmm. by the community. And it sort of comes back to that gratitude thing, doesn't it? Where there is in the, there, where there's a, because of the a cultivating an attitude and a an appreciation of one another, that's right. It does develop that trust, which then it does allow for the space for then, the, as is as you say, the hard truths. The other thing I always think is is tricky in this is who does the truth talking. So is it, and and who and whose whose responsibility is it? You know, and who who does the discipline and who does the rebuking and all of that sort of thing as well? And how do you and how do you create a, a sort of a healthy community that will? that there's mutual, there's mutuality in that as well, that it's not that this person is the person who's going to tell you whether you've messed up. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Have you got any thoughts around that? Who, who does the truth talking and who does the, let me add to that. Cause, cause I, I think, you know, when you let people t- talk truth in, in, into your, into your life it's because they somehow earned it because you've been there, they invested yeah. in you and you're actually open to whatever they want to say. But when you don't have that relationship with mm. church leaders, and they want to speak truth and correct you. You'd be like, uh, I, I mean, you're the leader. I'm, I'm sort of open, but we don't have that connection. Well, and does it need to be from the leader, I think, as well, is what e- I'm wondering. Ex- yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. I mean, that was a great point of most likely the best person is somebody that, that it's in your life and you, you've yeah. given back and forth and you're open. And, and sometimes, may I say, most of the times that is not the pastor. No. Potentially not. Yeah. 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 But it, it probably needs to be someone who's not dependent on your favor. 
<laughs> you know, it's hard to speak truth into somebody's life if that person could really um, be angry with you or, or um, end up kind of turning it around and it'd be costly to you. I mean, I just think that's, that's in those power dynamics that gets yeah. complicated. But yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely right that, um, that we're going to hear the truth from people we trust, from people mm. who think really do want the best for us. And if we don't know them, it's very hard unless you've got a culture that values authority, yeah. which we don't in a lot of cases. Yeah. It's going to be hard um, to just kind of have leadership that does it. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing in these dynamics that we have to be careful of is, is to recognize how power can be misused yeah. um, to um, sometimes squash dissent or um, keep people from speaking hard truths and, and so on. It's not a hamburger after all, you know, that's that whole thing. Yeah, it's not a hamburger after all. It's, you know, like that. <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are listening, and they are—they're not trying to have successful communities, which I, which I think is a really bad word. I mean, they want to have healthy communities, and in that, in those, and, and they want to, you know, uh, get better at that. And and uh, I know you have some 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 tips like like the hospitality part and like the the third spaces things you talk about, and and uh, so. Can you help people uh, kind of, what do you call it, get healthier communities? Because mm. they have a, they have a nice group and, and they're, they're feeling like, yes, this, this can become something. This can actually become a, a community and we want it to become a healthy community. Can you, uh, as we close, can you help them with tips or or, or practices. practices that can get them there into a healthy community? Not in an efficient kind of way, you know, in a, yeah. nice, in a nice, slow, attentive, you know, intentional kind of way. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, that I think was part of the, the point of the book was to sort of think about how we might not, not focus on sort of just getting to a, a goal, but actually what, it, what the internal dynamics are mm. of a healthy community. And I think it is a community that makes and keeps promises with one another. So you could become more intentional about actually articulating the commitments. Promise keeping is very hard um, today because we, or promise making, because we're afraid of commitments. Right. We like to keep options open. So being a little bit more intentional about that, making a space for truthfulness, um, and gratitude. I think um, part of it is also sort of recovering the practice of hospitality, both internally. I don't think a community can sort of welcome outsiders if it isn't taking, um, if it isn't paying attention to the well-being of its own members. There's not much to welcome people into if yeah. you aren't uh, yeah. um, a functioning community, right? Yeah. Um, on the other hand, if you are only focused internally, then there's not going to be any room for strangers. You know, you've kind of closed off. And that is actually a sign of a very unhealthy community. So cultivating that. And that was um, the third space language is not mine, but it's a, it's a really good, I, I often talk about threshold, creating threshold places, but it's sort of the same thing. It's actually where you can encounter strangers um, yeah. in a, a somewhat neutral, safe space. So I think oftentimes when people are talking about third spaces, they're talking about coffee shops or um, plazas or whatever, where there's people around, but where you can begin the initial conversations. I think churches can create third spaces 
Um, I think sometimes things like ESL, pro English as a Second Language Program, is a great third space. Mm. Um, doing something like community meals, where you are welcoming people in from the outside, it begins a relationship that then can become more intimate mm -hmm. in the church or in a home or whatever. So those are... Um, I know of, of some churches that have developed laundromats in their church space because that actually creates an interesting third space. Yes. Um, yes. That's neither, third spaces are neither private nor um, sort of fully public. Um, right. Or, um, so there's sort of the in-between that, you know, it's not home, but it's also not business or something like that. It's a place where people can begin to get to know each other because people are hesitant about welcoming and, and for some fairly good reasons about yep. welcoming total strangers directly into their homes. Mm -hmm. yep. um, not so much into church, but into, into our mm -hmm. homes. We, we need to get to know each other a little bit. So that's part of the importance of third spaces. Mm. Yeah. I feel like you said as we were closing, but I feel like you had that other good question about, and it's now it's, it's, there's no segue into this, but it's just a good question. But when, when we're looking at our local church and how we um, think about people in that and then separating people out into homogenous groups, of these are the young married people with kids, these are the older retirees, these are the single people, that kind of thing. I mean, it's mm. experientially, it's totally wrong and it's so unattractive as a community model. But um, how to like help us think about help us think about that in terms of um, creating communities that are diverse. Yeah. Um, and yet where we do make some sort of space for. For similarity too, there is an extent to which we do. There is a shared. There's a sharedness there, which is really helpful and supportive. And how do we think about those? The relationship between those two things. Yeah, like singles on the right and married on on the left. And yeah, it's, it's bad. I, I think part of the challenge. I thought that was an inter interesting question in terms of community. And I think part of it is that when we make those divisions kind of hard and fast, so that a lot of stuff happens. Um, for singles over here and married people over here or retired people and young people, you know, in, in different spaces, is we assume that that one characteristic defines the people. And, you know, that tells us, we think that that tells us way more about persons than anything else. And I think we lose a lot of the richness and the complexity of people falls out if their primary definition is being single or their mm -hmm. primary definition is being you know, a middle schooler or something. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we miss the, the beauty of cross-generational relationships. I mean, mm -hmm. it becomes harder, right? If you se always separate out older people from young people, they don't know how to communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, they don't learn the skills, but they also, they don't find the other people interesting. Yeah. I think if they don't mm -hmm. get to know them, they don't, uh, you know, they don't, they don't know the other things about them other than that they're old. Yeah. Well, you know, then <laughs> and they wear those clothes or yeah. they have good manners or something. And they don't, they don't find out what makes them tick and what makes them wonderful. Yeah. And well, then you have a, then a stereotypical about how that type or that group behaves or is. So old people are always going to think this and young people are always going to feel like this and single people are always going to feel like, you know, like it's just. Oh. And, and you it, can imagine that there's actually common things between totally. that, that old yeah. person and that middle schooler actually really liked the same thing, you know, mm. and that you could be building it, um, building relationships. So I think you miss um, by doing that uh, sort of emphasizing homogeneity of one sort or another, um, you, you miss a lot of things. Now, you know, in big churches, there has to be some kind of program in 
but the programming should be opening into relationships, right? And the relationship shouldn't always be defined just by one characteristic, I think. Yes. So, yeah. so um, making um, programmatic um, arrangements where whole families serve together because families themselves are often fractured by school and work and they're separated. Mm-hmm. So giving them a chance in the church to actually work together as a unit can be pretty interesting. And then putting, you know, mm-hmm. mixing it up with singles or older, older people and younger people and kind of putting mm-hmm. them um, together on a, on a project can be really um, um, fruitful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Or I think also organizing people around certain interests yep. that mm-hmm. isn't age um, defined. Um, yeah. Be helpful. Yeah. Cause I think there's a, of, Especially when I was young, there was a tendency of just get the kids out of here. That's just that's just the worst. They're distracted. They're just just get the kids out of here. Just you know, just the first thing every church should do: get the kids out of there, and then things will work. Which which is which is not good at all. It's just yeah. not good. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids don't learn how to um, behave well. Hey. Not not exactly perfect or something, but they don't learn how to how to function with adults. Yeah. And how to be in that different space that they're not in all the time. Yeah, because, yeah, if they're always with people the same age. Yeah, totally. Okay, I feel like our time might have has come to an end. Happy to talk to you all. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for your time. It was great having you here, Christine. Thank you for being in the podcast. Thank you. We'll hope to have you back at Regents in person sometime. Again. That'd be good. That would be okay. nice. I totally enjoyed it. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>